the tone and the pace and the culture of an organization starts from the top. And if you don't have leadership that is representative of underrepresented populations, then it's very hard to build that inclusive and, and equitable team. And it also shows you, you know, maybe there's reasons why people of color aren't in those types of roles. Maybe the promotion is being limited or just kind of other things on that front. So I think really starting and looking at the top is a great, great way to try to determine that. Welcome back to Mostly Balanced with Mia and Carly. Hi, guys. Welcome back. We have another great episode today. We have another career-focused episode today. So we have Jillian Williams. She is the partner and co-founder of Monday Talent, so a recruitment agency, which is really cool because I think there should totally be more tailored approaches to matching people to careers rather than just putting people in seats. We were talking about it when we were getting ready to release this episode. And we were like, do we want to release two career-focused episodes back to back? But this one is so different from our episode with Lisa last week, because now we're talking more on diversity and inclusion in the workplace and even outside of work, how we can better show up as allies for people of color. And like Mia said, how to pair certain people with certain companies and how companies should be making sure that they're creating a diverse workplace. And even if that means creating new positions for people that don't even exist yet, there's just a lot of, we went down a lot of different paths with Jillian and she was so well-educated on these topics and also just so passionate about it. So it was really interesting and fun conversation. Mm -hmm. And the way that we've all evolved and our working styles evolved since working from home and COVID and just the need for more flexibility. Like we were kind of living in a status quo of Monday to Friday work, nine to six work. Carly and I definitely felt that work fatigue of not really being productive in those hours, but feeling like we had to be physically in an office, just waiting for time to go by. And I think so many people have reevaluated how they work, how they best work, the hours they best work. And I think being home and working flexibly has definitely just made people be more, more productive, like doing more in less time, which I think is just how we should operate at all times. Yeah, I was laughing because I feel like people who listen to this episode, if you guys are having those conversations with your employers or your teams at work about going back to the office, or if you're feeling pressured to go back to the office, I think this conversation, first of all, is going to help you better navigate those conversations in the workplace, but also make you realize that, yeah, of course, it's not it's not super easy to just go out and find a new job tomorrow, but to hear from somebody who's working with countless companies day after day, to hear the fact that it really is changing, companies are becoming a lot more flexible, is pretty reassuring to think that if you're not happy with the circumstances at work, whether that's because of work-life balance or that's because of something like diversity, equity, and inclusion you can find something new and you can find a company that is doing better in those areas. And that is setting more of an example and that you're going to be more happy with and just passionate about and align with their values because they're out there. So if it's not where you're at now, then you'll feel confident after you listen to this, that you'll be able to find something better. Yes, definitely. I love this conversation and I am too happy that they're back to back. I think it's a good little series of career focused conversations, but we always like to share products that we've been trying or things we're watching or any recommendations we have. I actually have a product this time. So we talk a lot about skincare and our routines. So, you know, if you've been listening that I use Sunday Riley, all about acne series or kit that Carly got me onto. That's so great for both of our skin, but I do find in the winter, it leaves me a little dry. I'm just generally, I have dry skin when it's very, very cold out and in the winter months. So I was completely influenced by Instagram ads that I saw from Jenny Kane. First of all, Jenny Kane is an amazing California lifestyle brand. So they have clothes, they have all home decor, they have candles, and now they have a whole cosmetic line. So Jenny Kane is just goals. If you go into one of the stores, I wanted to move in. There's one in Amagansett <laughs> and I could spend hours in there. It was just so beautiful. And so aesthetically pleasing. I bought a sweater. The brand's really great. It is pretty expensive, but quality. So I saw these Instagram ads for Jenny Kane's new Oak Essentials line. So a ton of really great, clean, crafted by dermatologists and Jenny herself. So this is a moisturizing balm. 
And it is a very rich, like creamy looking balm that is for putting on at night, kind of like a sleep mask. So I'll do my whole nightly skincare routine. And then you take a little pea size amount of this rich moisturizing balm. You warm it in your hands and you just rub it all over your face and you can put it on your lips and your neck. And you go to sleep and it is just so moisturizing and locks in all the moisture. And the goal of it is to give you a really no makeup glow. So they they call it a mega moisturizing miracle balm that delivers a no makeup glow. So, I mean, I wanted it immediately. That selling line just really got to me. So I've been using it. I really, really like it. I have sensitive skin, so I was worried it was going to make me break out. I usually steer clear of like really moisturizing balms, anything that's super rich, but it's very light. It has a great smell. The whole like little ritual of rubbing it and warming it in your hands and then rubbing it on your face. It just feels like a nice little nightly spa routine and definitely has made my skin glowy and even and totally feel like I feel comfortable without makeup on. Yeah, you are glowing. And I said that to her before we started recording, before I heard all about this specific product. So it's totally working. I definitely want to try it, especially because I'm in the same boat right now. My skin has definitely been on the drier side in the winter. I think you just need a little something more. Mm -hmm. A miracle bomb. And my thing that I wanted to talk about, we've talked about, of course, we've talked about how much we love Beam CBD products on here. We even had one of their co-founders, Matt Lombardi, on the podcast over the summer. And we had a great conversation with him. If you haven't listened, go back and listen. And you can learn a lot about CBD and about their company in general. I had previously tried their CBD tincture, just the regular drops. That's called the one. And then I've been a big fan of their dream powder, which you use at nighttime and it helps you sleep. Those are still both great. And I still use them both pretty frequently, but I wanted to try something different. They have so many different products for so many different use cases. And so I decided to try their revive capsules. So it's a capsule that you take two of as needed. And basically the point of it is to help your body recover from maybe hard workouts. If you have sore muscles, just if you feel inflamed, these help boost recovery. And like all of their products, they use a combination of ingredients. So they all have nano CBD, but then they'll add in different ingredients to really help boost that performance. So this, for example, has turmeric in it, which is really great with inflammation. And then a couple of other ingredients that are meant to help with recovery and just muscle recovery in general. And I've only been using them for a few days, but definitely felt less sore the past few days. And I'm sure it takes a little bit longer, but I can tell even just like the days that I haven't taken them that I do feel a little bit more sore and my body is a little bit more tired. So I'm definitely really excited to continue to take them regularly. And even people that I know, like when I posted about them the other day on Instagram, we got responses back of people saying that they love this specific product from Beam and that it actually has helped so much. I always am really sore. So I'm curious, Mm -hmm. hopefully this helps me like long-term too, but I just love the premise of it and the idea that rather than just being just CBD that you use for all these different things, that they actually make these individualized products and take advantage of other ingredients to really help boost the performance, like I said. So highly, highly recommend. And we We also have a code with them, which I'm so excited about because I've been talking about Beam for like three years. Ever since they launched, I've been obsessed with them. And this is a company that we've been wanting to work with for so long. So you can use Mostly Balanced and you can get 15% off your order, anything you order. They have, again, so many different products. Not all CBD is the same. And it's really important if you want to use it to use something that's high quality. Yay. I love Beam. I love that we have a code. I have the one right in front of me now, which I love for daytime. You know, I take a lot of CBD for going to sleep, but the one is just so perfect for relaxing during the day and focusing. Great product. All of them. We always love to close with our Esther Perel game. Where should we begin? So we pick three cards each and we share a little story of about the prompt. Okay. These are really good cards for you. If I wrote a book, its title would be, if I could see into the future, I would want to know. I've always wondered if it's normal too. I feel like I want to answer all of these. They're so good. We're really good. There's too many things that I would want to know about the future. So I'm not going to answer that. We would be here all day. Mm -hmm. If I wrote a book, you need to tell us more about the book. Us, I will. Me, I'll reveal me and our listeners <laughs> details in the future, but fiction book and it's titled read this when I die. Hopefully it'll be on the shelf one day. It will be manifestation. Yes. Okay. 
My cards are in my recurring dream. I am lately. I've been getting better at, and I owe a thank you to. Hmm. These are good ones too. These are good ones too. I'm going to pick, I owe a thank you to, and it's going out to three people and they're my three older sisters. So I talk on here a lot. I feel like we talk a lot about family and our upbringing and I have such a big age gap from my sisters. So when I was born, they were 13, 10 and eight. So I definitely had three people who for, it could either have been like three shadows I was kind of living in, which I definitely felt at times because living with three older sisters who had big personalities when I was kind of shy and they had already like paved this life for themselves. And I, you know, had my own things, but also followed in their footsteps. But also they were just huge role models for me growing up. So my first internships, I def I got help from my sister, Jessica and my sister, Renata like, got into yoga and was always the one who I learned a lot of like health trends from and what it meant to lead a overall well lifestyle. My sister, Beth is a therapist and I've learned so much about that field from her and got my therapist recommendations from her and my other sister. So the three of them, I feel like just each, I have a different relationship with each of them and I have learned so much from them and they have helped me so much. And I owe so much of what I do now to what I have learned from them and just the relationship that we've had. I can honestly say I've never fought with any of my sisters, probably because I was always like the baby. And then when we grew up and the age gap didn't really matter, we were adults who didn't really get into a lot of fights with each other. I kind of missed the teenage fighting years. But also what I want to drive home here is I really, from a young age, understood that timelines do not matter in relationships. And that is something I've been like preaching forever because even when I was so young to even worry about timelines, my sisters, all of them got into their significant relationships. They are each married to have kids, but all of they, they met their partners in their mid thirties, mid to late thirties. So I have just loved seeing that they fully embraced their twenties and were completely independent people who explored so many different paths, changed so much from when they were like high school to twenties to early thirties, changed so much and then found their partner. And while some people might say that was late or some people might've gotten caught up in the whole timeline and worrying about their age, Not that they were old, but I just really love to see how they had become fully themselves and then found their forever partner. I love that answer so much for so many reasons, but I honestly remember because you've been saying it since we first became friends that there should be no such thing as timelines and that that was something that you learned from your sisters. That's so nice to have older siblings because I feel like you really take something different from each of them. Yeah. And even outside of relationships, Renata started a yoga studio in her late thirties, Jessica took a career pivot and moved to LA and has been there ever since in her like late twenties. Beth, after having kids opened up her own private practice and therapy. So even that, like, I always just learned so much from them that like you can do anything at any age. Yeah. It's such an important message. Well, we hope you guys love this episode. Like we said, so much great career content in there, but also a lot of great dating and relationship content. We get to hear more about Jillian's experience working from home with her partner in the same apartment. And then Mia shares her Mm -hmm. experience as well. And we hear how Jillian met her boyfriend. You guys are going to love it. Let us know what you think. Yes, we are so excited and we'll see you next week. Welcome back. We're so excited today to be joined by a partner and founder of Monday Talent, a women-led value-driven recruitment agency. She also helps companies achieve equal and inclusive workplaces. So we're so excited to have you on the show today. Welcome to Mostly Balanced, Jillian Williams. Thank you. I'm I'm so excited to be here. We're so excited to chat with you. But before we get into it, can you tell everybody where you're from, where you live, and then just a little snapshot of what you do? 
Absolutely. I'm Jillian Williams. I am one of the the partners and founders of Monday Talent. We are a recruitment firm rooted in the marketing, communications, and creative arenas with a huge commitment to building diverse and almost more importantly, equitable and inclusive teams. I am New York born and raised. I'm actually one of the rare breeds that are actually from New York City. I grew up on the Upper West Side in Manhattan. I left for, for college for a few years. I went to school in DC and then I moved to Maine randomly for a couple of years, but I could not. Yeah, that's a story for another time, but um, <laughs> I could not stay away from New York. So I am back now living in the lovely Williamsburg, Brooklyn. The city Amazing. just pulls you back, right? Yeah, Every time back. I try to leave, I come back. It's what they say. There's really nowhere like it. It is one of the most interesting, exciting, just best places to live. I'm obviously yeah. very biased, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure. And we hear that so often, even in the conversations we're having. We've had this conversation with so many people like New York's just this beacon that pulls you back. Oh, it, it truly, truly is. And I, I feel like I will, I will probably raise a family here and you know we'll always have roots here I've yeah. that. <laughs> I feel like we could have a whole podcast about what it was like growing up in New York City because I've always been so curious about that oh absolutely people are, are always like did you have grass what about grass I'm like <laughs> I had Central Park like yes maybe not <laughs> direct yard, but I did have, I did have Central Park. And for me, it was all I knew. So it's hard to compare to anything else, but definitely, I mean, I had a a wonderful childhood, very cultured, got to experience a ton of things. I went to an amazing middle school that was actually founded on Martin Luther King's principles. And so it was incredibly diverse. It was private, but you paid on a a sliding scale. So I had just kids from all over in in my class and really went on a tangent there, but, um, but it was an amazing, amazing school. No, that's amazing. I'm so jealous of just the opportunities and what you're exposed to as a kid growing up in a city, especially like you said, being so culturally diverse. I mean, I grew up in private schools with the same type of people from kindergarten to eighth grade. And then again, I was just in like bubbles of kind of the same exact cultural dynamic for my whole life. So I love that that's just been part of your life ever since you were young. So tell us a little bit about how you got to start Monday Talent. That's amazing and a huge accomplishment. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, a lot of what we were saying about growing up in New York, always being surrounded by diversity and culture. I think once I entered into the corporate world, it was a bit shocking how homogenous certain organizations were and how there was just such a lack of representation, particularly at the leadership or or more senior level. And so to back up a little, I ended up going through a plethora of jobs after college. I was totally lost, had no idea what I wanted to do. I was a psych major, but I really was pretty unsure. I ended up eventually getting recruited by a recruitment firm for a totally different job, not as a recruiter, but it randomly was a buyer in a, in a past life. And so it was for a buyer position. They realized I was not qualified for that, but they were like, oh, you like to talk. You know, you have seem to have a good personality. I'm like, I guess I do. <laughs> like, thanks, that's nice. Was, they were like, have you ever thought about recruitment. And I'm like, no, but tell me more. I then ended up meeting the vice president of the firm and and then the president. And that ended up being my first role in recruitment. That wasn't the right fit. I went through a couple of different recruitment agencies. And I think a lot of them were just very numbers driven, very metrics driven, very much just about kind of pushing bodies into seats versus like, these are people we're dealing with. So really looking at the human and the individual person and, and trying to really find them the right fit and also trying to find the companies that we're recruiting for the right talent that's going to stay long-term and add value on in a lot of different ways. And so I think, you know, a lot of recruitment firms, as I was saying, I've been at just were just really about the numbers. And so when I met my now partner, Jamie at our last firm, and also my now partner, Carly at our last firm, they both shared my same philosophy to recruitment, making it much more about the relationship building the long-term. And they also equally shared my commitment to building diverse teams at companies. I think the spaces that we recruit in, marketing, communications, and creative. The talent is definitely there, but a lot of the companies we work with just aren't representative of the diverse population that they're doing ad campaigns for or things like that. And so Jamie, Carly, and I really shared that mission. And so that really drew us to start Monday was that passion to do things in the way that we wanted to and approaching recruitment in the way that we intended, which was that very people centric, but also really committed to building diverse teams, but also making sure that the client partners that we were working with, you know, were doing it for the right reasons when they were looking at diverse talent and not just to, to check a box or things like that. Yeah. It's so cool to hear that that's your mission and that there's actually a company out there doing that. 
when I think about my own experience professionally, I've worked at a number of different jobs. And I think that I do see a much more diverse workplace than I have at past jobs, specifically on sports teams. And it was all men and primarily white men. And it was just not as diverse at all. And it's definitely one of the things that I've noticed more and more now since I've been at this new job. But if people listening are on a team that they're interviewing and they're hiring, what's advice that you give to people to make sure that they are building a diverse and inclusive team? And like you said, it's not just to check a box. How do you go about that in the right way? That's a great question. I think, I mean, for me, one of the the kind of key indicators are look at the leadership team, like either there are photos on the website, or you can even ask what's the makeup of the leadership team? What's the composition? If they're all, you know, white men and there really doesn't look like diversity on that front, I think that's incredibly telling because the tone and the pace and the culture of an organization starts from the top. And if you don't have leadership that is representative of underrepresented populations, then it's very hard to build that inclusive and, and equitable team. And it also shows you, you know, maybe there's reasons why people of color aren't in those types of roles. Maybe the promotion is being limited or just kind of other things on that front. So I think really starting and looking at the top is a great, great way to try to determine that. And I think it's just, you know, when you ask them, like, what, what are their diversity, equity and inclusion initiatives? What are they doing on the DEI front? And hearing their answers, I think that goes a long way. Now more than ever, companies are very, their eyes have been open post Black Lives Matter movement and George Floyd. I think we've been hearing it left and right how important diversity is. And I've been seeing it more and more from clients, but I still think that a lot of companies do have a lot of room to grow on that front. But I think, you know, hearing out what, what are they doing and does it seem genuine? Are they really taking action? Are they really walking the talk and not just saying they care about diversity, but then you look around and it all looks the same. I think that that's a big kind of step to determining if it, it feels like an, an inclusive culture. Yeah, absolutely. And I totally agree at looking at the leadership and just to kind of take inventory of who are the voices leading this company, but it's such a trickle down effect of your leadership. You could be hiring at the entry level, really focusing on diversity and hiring people with all different backgrounds and points of view. But if that top is kind of status quo, as it has been, that's going to be representative of the conversations that are had in meetings. And that's going to maybe hinder people from speaking up. Like I've been in situations similar to Carly at previous corporations where the room's full of old white men in suits having all of the conversations. And I'm like a 23 year old girl sitting not even at the table. And that really affects even the ability to speak up and be confident day to day. So what type of advice do you have for someone who is feeling like they want to add value to the company and they want to speak up and show up confidently, but that culture isn't really there to advocate for them? Honestly, my advice would be there are a lot of companies out there now that are doing a great job on this front or that are, you know, and yes, every company has a lot of room to grow and learn, but I think a lot of companies are putting their money where their mouth is. They're investing in resources. They're bringing in external consultants. If maybe they realize they don't know. So they are hiring people that can advise them on what they should do culturally and things like that. And so I think if the culture really feels that much of a hindrance from you being able to speak up, then maybe it's not the right place. And and I think, you know, that maybe isn't what people want to hear. And I, I do think though that I'm under the school of thought of you don't need to stick things out in a job if it doesn't feel like the right fit. And especially if the company isn't doing things on the diversity, equity and inclusion front, that's incredibly telling about the broader culture, I think, and and how much they invest and care about their employees and the broader world. And I think that if it's not happening at your own company, I think there are tons of other companies out there where you can find that and find a safe place to have a voice and, and a platform to do so. I could not agree more. Going back to what you had said earlier, I think it's such an important question to ask in an interview when you're interviewing with a company, what they're doing to make it a more inclusive workplace. Seeing people come in and start to ask that question makes the company step up a little bit more. Are there specific companies that come to mind that you feel like are sort of setting an example right now? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say without naming names, there are a couple of of companies that we're working with that have set out and have said, you know, we want to, we want to build diverse teams. That's really important to us. And I think they've been super receptive to our feedback and to our input on how they should go about doing that. So companies that are looking outside the box that aren't just looking at their normal kind of channels for where they find talent companies that are maybe looking at people whose resumes aren't as linear as they're used to, or are looking at people even maybe in a different type of career, but who have the raw skills and raw foundation to kind of transition into the industry or to the role 
that we're recruiting for. I think those are our clients that have really done a great job of being able to build diverse and from the feedback I've received, equitable and, and inclusive organizations, and especially companies that are not just hiring at the junior level, as we were saying, but are looking at more senior talent. And if they can't find those in the traditional areas, they're opening up new roles or creating roles around the person. Those are, are companies that I've really seen have a lot of success on this front, especially in this climate where it is something we're hearing left and right that we want to hire diversity. That's really important to us. But I think a lot of companies are struggling on that front. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that it's not a numbers game. It's really about the long-term relationship you'll have with both your coworkers and the company and build a career. So I wanted to talk about that because I felt like in my own recruitment experience, when I really had no idea what I wanted to do, I was researching recruitment agencies and I was really taking inventory of like, which ones of these seem like they have relationships with good companies and they're really here to like, I needed to have a conversation with someone to say like, Mia, what do you want to do? What are your passions? What are your interests? And then like, come to me with ideas. And maybe that's more of like a career coach than a, <laughs> in, than a recruitment agency. But what are the types of things you look for when you're now matching potential roles with a potential candidate, when it comes to like, I want to find a job I can be at forever. It's going to be my passion. Yeah, absolutely. I think, as you said, sometimes people get a little bit confused about what recruiters do. So technically we're hired by companies, so organizations, brands to find them talent. That being said, if people come to us or we will maybe get referred people who are looking for roles consistently and constantly, like we always will take the call. We want to hear what you have to say, hear what you're looking for. And there's a chance we might be working on something that could be a fit for you. But if not, just you being proactive and having that conversation with us and telling us what you're looking for, like we really take that to heart. We will take notes on the on the call and, and add that to our CRM system where we have notes on you. So if new roles come in, we can do a search and say, oh yeah, this is what she was looking for. Or that's what she was looking for. That's kind of how we work with candidates. We really try to be very consultative, even if it's just like picking our brains about things. Like I've had people who I knew I didn't have, it was in a different industry, but they were referred to me. So I'm happy to give them advice of what I've seen, strategies that I've seen or things like that. But I think in, in terms of what we look for, so it's, it's really dependent on each role that we're recruiting for. But I think one of the most critical things for us to first do is understand the company that we're recruiting for. So really have conversations, not just with the HR who are going through the resumes, but with the actual hiring managers, the people that you're going to be working with, understanding them, getting a feel for their personality, getting a feel for what is important to them. And then when we go to look for the right talent for them to hire, I think those are critical things that some of them you can't really ask about, but it's you, you get a vibe of someone and you get a feel for this is their personality. These are the things that are important to them. So if candidates, you know, if it seems important to have like a flexible work schedule or culture or, you know, where you don't have to be in the office five days a week, which is very rare nowadays, but you, there are still some companies like that. It's making sure that we're listening to what each candidate has to say and taking that into consideration and really trying to align them with our clients that have built that type of environment or team or things like that. It's so cool that all of that flexibility opportunities come into play where you now you have the option of saying, I want a flexible work life or I want remote job or something like that. And that is there's opportunities out there for you. So I feel like people get a little stifled when they're looking for a role and can't really find what they're looking for. Oh yeah. I mean, we, I hadn't heard that up until like pandemic time. I mean, maybe once in a while, someone would say I want a flexible culture, but things have transformed drastically since, since COVID in terms of remote work. And I think flexibility, work-life balance, I think not only did the COVID time kind of shake up the way that work places are structured and they've become more conscious about like their employees needs and looking at their mental health and wellness and well-being and coming up with different cultural initiatives or flexibility that allow people to have a better balance when it comes to work and life. It's sad that it took a pandemic to get to this point, but if there are some silver linings, it is the way that it's shaken up the corporate world and how it's forced companies in a lot of ways to reevaluate traditional work routine and, and what that looks like. And it really have made accommodations. And I think clients that are still sticking to traditional ways of being at your desk nine to five or eight, eight to six, even those are the companies that they're going to really struggle to find great talent, especially younger talent right now and probably forever, because there are so many companies that are doing so many great things on, on those fronts. I'm so glad that you both brought that up because that was something I was definitely going to ask about. And like you said, it's kind of sad that it took a pandemic to really shift things in that way, but it has, it's shifted so much. And at first, sometimes I'll laugh because I'll see 
some of the younger candidates or employees coming in and asking all these questions, like just saying straight out, well, I don't want to be in an office or I want this flexible work-life balance. And I'm like, oh my God, I didn't have the nerve to say that when I first started, but, but now I'm like, no, they have it right. This is how the conversation should be going. And there should be, there is no need for us to be in, at least in our field, in the office Monday through Friday from I used to sit at my desk and wait until 6.30 when it was time to leave. But right, sometimes right. I wouldn't even be doing anything at that <laughs> watching hour. Watching the clock, exactly. Just counting counting the hours, watching the clock. Yeah, exactly. And just like even being able to have the flexibility to do laundry in the day, or if you have pets, I know so many of us got pandemic pets, like taking your own animal out in the middle of the day and not worrying about it or going to a doctor's appointment and not feeling stressed. Like, oh my God, I've been gone from my desk for you know an hour or two hours or whatever. I think that's really... A drastic life improvement and, and life change. And I think that now that we've seen that people, it, you can't go back. And it's, and we've also seen though, that you can still have the same level of productivity while having that flexibility. And so I think that that's why companies that are still requiring people to be in the office, it's kind of like, why, you know, why, I mean, I get it. Some people need that. And I think having it as an option is wonderful if you can do that, but it's also like why mandate it otherwise. Yeah. For is sure. that a lot of the conversation that you're having? Are a lot of the companies saying, no, we want them here. And then candidates are kind of like, then I don't want the job. There's so many jobs open right now, but companies are having a lot of trouble filling them. But also there's obviously so many people looking for jobs. Is it just like a mismatch in, in what they're looking for? So I think, I mean, I think it's it's definitely like a lot of factors as to why there, there are so many opportunities. I mean, I think a lot of opportunities have more from COVID times, even though some industries are struggling, other industries have done exceptionally well during COVID. And so they're opening up new roles and things like that. I think also this time, as we were just saying, has given people a lot of pause and time to reevaluate their lives, especially if they are at companies that don't have this balance that they're craving or just aren't as conscious of their mental health or aren't doing things on the diversity or inclusion front. Or some people have taken time and have been like, I'm not in the right career field. Like I totally am, you know, shaking things up. I think this time is totally just shaking up everyone's lives completely or they're moving, you know, and it's totally unexpected. And so I think a lot of those factors have contributed to why there are so many jobs because we're seeing so much movement of, of people into other roles. So out of their current roles, I think we're seeing so many new positions open up, but definitely the conversation around remote working, work from home policy, that's now like the first thing that, that people mm-hmm. will ask when we speak to them. What is that policy? What is their return to work? plan? What does it look like now? I think now more than ever, we're hearing that. Honestly, most of our clients have some kind of flexibility. They're either fully remote still. And and when they do plan on going back, it will be very much a hybrid schedule. Typically what we're seeing is like two to three days in the office and then two to three days out of the office. But we do have a couple or have had people come to us with opportunities where they did require five days a week. And Mm. especially if the role itself wasn't that attractive or the company we're like, it's just not the type of position that we can really support because people are really staying away from those in this environment, especially because it really speaks to the culture in a lot of ways of that company. Yeah. Oh my God. I hope flexible work is here to stay. COVID has just, (laughs) it's shifted everything. Like those moments of, do I even like what I'm doing? When you take the office and the culture out, it really gives people that stillness alone to think, do I actually like what I'm doing on the day to day? But also like I work at Facebook and so many people have moved that if I went into the office, I would still spend my entire day on Zoom. So it's just shifted so much. If you can make those two days or that hybrid a time to really be collaborative and meet with the right people, it's more intentional office going, which I like than just what Carly said and how I experienced. It was so not intentional. I would sit there from nine to six and just wait until I had could leave. But like speaking of the culture that a company has, I think Facebook, for example, has done a really great job. So much of the company's culture was within the office. It's a really vibrant place. There's you get to interact with people across the whole agency from engineers to people in sales. They have chefs and like this artwork around like so much of the culture was in the office. They've done a really nice job at maintaining culture and inclusion and collaboration in a virtual world. But have you seen that across other companies? Like how does a company maintain that level of culture or really maintain being an advocate for inclusion in a virtual world when we're pretty much alone at a workplace? Yeah. I mean, I think it's something as, you know, a 
a business owner myself in, in this climate that we're constantly thinking about and, and evaluating. I think that, you know, we're lucky that we're able to speak to a lot of different companies. So we get to kind of hear things that are working and, and things that aren't working. A lot of companies are definitely things don't translate the same as from in-person to Zoom, like happy hours. And I think that's something that our company personally is trying to figure out what's the best way to do that to make it feel interactive, especially as we're growing, you know, when we were just five, six people, that was fine. But now that we're reaching 14, 15, 16 people, like suddenly the boxes are getting a lot smaller and it's a lot harder to make sure that everyone is having a voice and a say. And so companies are having to get creative with these things instead of just doing, okay, we're going to have a happy hour. We're going to all just drink. It's coming up with activities or, or things that, you know, are interactive, whether there's games that require participation or bringing in like external third party vendors, like a, a chef or a magician or, or something like that keeps people like interested in it and, and, and stimulated versus just feeling like they're trying to get a word in over over Zoom. So I think a lot of companies like ourselves have had to, you know, come up with and, and get creative with what we're doing on that front. Definitely across the inclusion front, I think it's it's also just continuing to foster a safe and, and open and, and welcome and, and collaborative environment, which obviously can be hard when you're not in the office. But for, for us, I think it's having as we were saying, you know, intentional meetings, having intentional brainstorms that are around different cultural things. I think what we found have been really successful is asking your employees, asking your workforce. Some of our best ideas have come from our most junior talent, really opening up what are what are they hearing? What are their friends doing that, that are successful on those fronts? And really like getting creative and, and out of the box have, I think, been the most successful things than just expecting things that worked in person to work remotely. Yeah. Do most of the companies that you work with have a committee or something internally that is dedicated to making sure that there is that diversity and inclusion or culture? Do they usually have this, whether it's an actual position and a team, or if it's just kind of, like I said, like a committee that people volunteer for? Definitely. I think from what I've seen, most do have some kind of committee. I think a lot, we're seeing also a lot more positions morph that are very DEI focused. So I don't know if this is the right word, but but I'll say a mistake that a lot of companies make is they might have someone who's in HR, who's a black or brown person and automatically assume you're in HR, you're black or brown, you know, DEI. And mm. that by no means, you know, they might, you know, they might've studied certain things on, on that front end and, you know, have expertise in that area, but largely just because they're in HR and they are a person of color does not mean that they're a DEI expert. And so I think that, you know, a lot of companies are now realizing that and, and, and luckily taking steps to like create the proper position, or if there is an interest from the HR person to, you know, put them through proper training on that front, because there's, there's so much to learn. And I think, you know, that's to say, like, for me, I'm by no means a diversity, equity, and inclusion expert. I think a lot of my knowledge or, or, Things come from my experience, A, as a black woman in the workforce, B, as a black you know, business owner and just, you know, as, as a just person of color in, in, the, in the corporate world. And so it's definitely hard, but I'm glad to see that we're making positions for people that have, you know, the proper training to, to do those things now more than ever. Yes, definitely. And in huge corporations, one of my old coworkers has gone on to work in like big names in the entertainment industry, and she's a director or VP in DEI. So I love to see that. But what about what are your recommendations or even thoughts on being allies in the workplace? If you're not a person of color, but you want to be an advocate, you don't work on the DEI team, but how can everyone show up in their workplace as an ally? Yeah, there's been a lot of rhetoric and and dialogue around this. And I think a lot of the same things that we've been talking about stay true. So it's first and foremost, understanding your privilege. So not making excuses or things like that, just just taking time to understand being a great listener, I think is is really critical. I think educating ourselves, there's so many amazing like resources out there now more than ever, like they're they're put together incredible lists as books or articles or, or things like that, that I think are so important. And what my main thing is more than ever, no matter what you do, just make sure that you're doing it and you're, you're consistently doing it. I think right now is, as we've been saying, like there, you know, there, there's such a topic around diversity, equity, inclusion in the workplace. And I think a lot of companies are speaking about it and it's for lack of a better term, kind of trending. But I think, you know, I want to make sure that this isn't just a fleeting moment, that these are things that, yes, it's entered the general dialogue, which is wonderful, but that we keep going even when it's not trendy or when there's other things that are are taking more focus in in the current climate. You know, no matter what you do, just do it consistently. So whether that's taking action, whether that's donating to different organizations, whether even, you know, attending protests or things like that, don't just go once. That's great if you do go once, but, you know, do those things consistently, make those things a part of your your regular routine and, and even, you know, under 
understanding and, and kind of checking your privilege. Those are things that it's not, you, you have to consistently do and, and think about and kind of, you know, assess within each situation. And I think that if we are all committed to staying on course and, and making a lot of these things become part of our normal life, that's how the biggest change is going to happen. That's such a great point. The consistency is the biggest thing because I can totally see how that wouldn't be the case. Like this being, like you said, obviously become more and more talked about, but you want to keep up that momentum. And that's why it's so great if your company is dedicated to it. And if you are working with all of these companies to implement these better practices, then hopefully it will just keep that momentum. And then it won't just be a fleeting moment because that's the opposite of what we need it to be right now. Exactly. I also wanted to ask sort of taking like a little bit of a 180 here, but just because you mentioned work-life balance before, I'm curious what that looks like for you specifically. How do you create that in your own life? Yeah, that's, that's something I'm honestly still, still working on, but I think I really tried to be very intentional with like, uh, I set a time and it, it might depend on like when I wake up or, or things like that, but I'll be like, okay, it's seven, uh, seven o'clock. Cause usually I start my day later. So <laughs> not a morning person. So I'll say like at seven o'clock, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to shut my computer down. And I really try to make a conscious effort to do so. I also try not to open my computer at all over the weekend. I think once you open it, it's just like a vortex and you get sucked into like the email and like, oh, I could just do this really quickly or, or just do that. Mm. So I think even just, you know, really setting limitations for myself on those fronts has gone a long way. I'll also try like, obviously, you know, we can't escape email because it's on our phones now and it's always with us. So I will go in and, and kind of turn off my email notifications. I'm guiltily, I will still check sometimes, but just not consistent <laughs> pop-ups and things has gone a long way. You know, sometimes it'll be hours when I've been like, oh, I didn't, you know, think about my email. And so I think, you know, it's, it's really, especially now as, as we are saying, when work and home, are blended in in so many ways. It's really important to set those boundaries. Yeah. You live with your boyfriend, right? I do. Yes. So are you guys both working out of like the same space? Yeah. So we are very lucky. So we we were moved into a, a two bedroom apartment. So now we have like an office. I'm currently in our, our little office space right now. So it's, it's been nice because before I was in my one bedroom and he would come over and we would both kind of try to be working there. And it was really hard now, like having two rooms where we can like shut the door is a game changer. But that, but like, we'll try to stick to a similar schedule too, because it's nothing is worse when you just want to chill out and your partner Mm. is still working. And it's just, and you're like, should I be working? Is it bad that I'm not working? And then I'm also like, I want someone to hang out with. It's COVID. I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) That's so true. Does that happen with you and Dan, Mia? Do you have the same work schedule? (laughs) I mean, I'm always working like... I'm working and dad's not. We have a really similar, we have a really similar work schedule, but it is so true that when you're working at home with someone, we've maintained boundaries. I mean, at the beginning of COVID, we were in a studio apartment for like, I think two work days before we realized that was not going to work. Dan was taking calls in the bathroom because I had to be on Zoom. It was a whole thing. Oh yeah. Now I agree. You need, you and your partner need to be on similar rhythms here. And I tend to work a little later sometimes, or if I'm doing the podcast, I can see how he gets like, he wants someone to hang out with and I have a harder time unplugging on busy days. So it's so important to be able to disconnect. If you're living with someone, I think also putting time, valuing your time that you have to spend in a relationship, you could easily get sucked into work or something. Yeah, it's so true. And yeah, and it feels like, you know, I think as good partners, maybe it's, it's us recognizing, like if we're doing calls and things like that, like it's hard for our partners to check out because just being around people who are working, it's never, you never feel that good if you're not. (laughs) That's so true. Do you have any advice for interviewing remotely, like interviewing over Zoom? Because it's funny because obviously we've been doing this now for almost two years, but I still feel like I get questions all the time from friends and people who are interviewing and just like not used to doing it in a virtual setting. I think that you have to realize that not just you now, but your background too, is all like a part of you and it's people's view of you. So, you know, make sure that you're, there aren't anything offensive. We've had, you know, funny jokes about candidates that have interviewed with like crazy mess in the background and (laughs) comments on it. So, you know, just making sure that it it is clean and that you maybe even do like a test run of like what you can see in your screen before jumping on the interview, I think is very important. It seems trivial, but, but honestly, like that's the first impression is not just your face. Now it's, it's also your environment. I think something else too, that I always recommend people is even though you can only see the top part of your body, get dressed, like don't just have like sweatpants on the bottom and, you know, a nice 
a nice shirt on top. Like, I think for me, at least like I, when I'm interviewing, I want to feel my best. I want to, you know, so I, and I don't feel my best if I'm in sweats, even if I'm feeling more comfortable, but I think you want to, you know, feel a little bit, you want to feel like that more formal interview setting, especially because you're in your home. So making it feel that way by getting dressed, even putting on, you know, maybe the watch that you normally wear or, or things like that, I think can just get you in that, in that mindset and, and shower, you know, even if they can't smell you, I think just knowing that you're <laughs> fresh and, you know, smelling yourself and, oh, I smell so fresh. I think all that ties into our, our confidence. And I think the more confident you are, the better that you're going to interview. Yeah, absolutely. And that'll be shown in your voice and the way you're engaging. And if you're making eye contact and looking alert, I think that is so much tied to your confidence. And exactly. I mean, I've interviewed over Zoom and a few times in these past COVID years. And it's so hard to have like a really authentic conversation where you're really connecting. And I mean, that is what we're struggling with, even if you are in a job or if we, like we talked about earlier, like how are we cultivating relationships with our coworkers? So I love that advice because I think it just, it'll help you have a pleasant interview, but also a pleasant work day. If you just show up and like ready to engage. It's so true. I mean, I kind of made that like resolution to myself. I have not been (laughs) <laughs> the best at sticking to it. But I was like, I'm going to get more, I'm going to take more time to get ready and, and put myself together in the workday. Cause you know, this is like also the only experience that people have is, is me. And I'm like, I want them to see me and my best self, even if I am at home. And so I think, you know, even for not interviewing, just carried through work, I think something else too, just to go back to the interview is like, I know it's nice. Cause you're like, Oh, I'm home. I can have notes or things like that, but it becomes very obvious very quickly, especially if it's just you and one other person on a zoom, if you're not looking at, you know, at the screen or, or, or things like that, if you're looking at notes, or even if for some reason you decide to answer an email or something like it becomes very obvious. So I would say, do your best to pretend that you don't, you don't have the ability to have notes unless you absolutely need it and can be good at kind of, you know, looking, but I think you know, <laughs> to be prepped as if you, you didn't have that option. Like I always do like a, a silence, my, my whole computer thing for Mac users. I know there's like a setting for that, like turn off all distractions. Cause I know how easy it is. I'm super ADD and I can get easily distracted. So I'm sure, you know, other people that happens to them too. Yeah. That definitely happens. Great advice. Yeah. Well, we always like to close with some rapid fire questions before we do that though. Can you tell everybody how they can find you and how they can learn more about Monday talent? Yes, absolutely. You can follow us on our Instagram. It's Monday underscore talent. Our website is monday-talent.com. I am the worst and I do not have personal social media. So you can use Monday social media to find me other than LinkedIn, or you can look up Jillian Williams on LinkedIn. That's amazing. That's another way you have nice virtual boundaries, not having okay, social I mean, media. I mean, I, okay, that, that, that's not true. I have social media. I just don't post. I just don't okay. post. I'm more of like the background creeper, but I don't post anything. That was my boundary though. I knew I would be crazy and obsessive over posts. So I was like, I just can't go down that path. Yeah. Just being on there to (laughs) scroll through is enough. When you get into posting, it definitely takes up more time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'll kick off the rapid fire. And honestly, they end up not being very rapid fire because they they get a little long. (laughs) So what are three things that you could not have made it through the early pandemic days without? Okay. Definitely my dog. I mean, I got him during earlier COVID winter. He literally- saved my life. Yeah. I totally fell (laughs) down the the COVID dog trap, but he was everything, especially I'd just gone through a breakup and it was through my life into him. Um, Schitt's Creek. I had not watched Schitt's Creek until the pandemic and I binged the hell out of it. And it was, they were my best friends. I knew them. I laughed. I cried with them. Incredible show, obviously. And a good hair mask. I got really into like doing hair masks (laughs) during the pandemic, especially when like business was so slow. I was like, I'm just going to obsessively try to do self-care, which I've now totally abandoned. But at the beginning of the pandemic, I, I was all about like the castor oil masks and, and the Olaplex. And yeah, it was, mm. especially because there were bar- barely any meetings then I feel like zoom mm. that I'm a, a cultural thing mm-hmm. at the beginning. So I would just literally sit all day with like some kind of mask in my hair, not caring what I look like. That's Love such that. a great I- off the cuff answer. All those things. <laughs> I am so <laughs> I definitely did some homemade DIY hair masks in early COVID. Oh yeah. Um, When you were young, what is something you dreamed of being famous for? I mean, when I was young, I I wanted to be like a famous actress. That was my 
I still do. Acted, right, right. I know. <laughs> like, and maybe one, well, you know, it'll still happen for me one day, you know, sort of from 33. Um, but <laughs> never <laughs> no, too late to follow yeah, your right? dream. <laughs> I mean, hey, that is, that is true. You know, I, I want to be, I guess, famous for being an actress, like known as, you know, for, for, I like drama. I love fake crying. I was horrible at it, but I thought I was really good at it. So I would like to love to pretend to fake cry. And sometimes it was a real cry. And (laughs) did you have any actresses that you looked up to that you wanted to be? Um, I mean, I loved Halle Berry. I think, you know, her just being the first black woman to win the Academy Award was incredible. And she's also just absolutely stunning. So I was like, I want to be Halle Berry. (laughs) I could totally see you on TV, fake crying. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That, that just, you don't know how much that means to me. <laughs> and what is one must-have quality for you and a significant other? Oh, ah, that's a good, I'm like trying to, I was like, do I do outside the box with this one? Or do I just, no, I think honestly, like someone who can just make fun of themselves. Like I am, I can be very serious when I need to be, but I'm the biggest, like dorkiest goof. I love just being ridiculous and silly and laughing at myself. And like, I love a partner that can do the same, that can enjoy it when I'm singing the craziest songs to my dog. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I know I won't be singing any of those right now. <laughs> next podcast, But yeah, I think like someone, you know, like me who can really laugh, laugh at themselves and, and just not, not take everything too seriously, especially now more than ever. We need that. Mm, a match Where did you meet him? Key. So we met on the lovely dating app Hinge. I was like, oh, I don't want to do this. I'd recently broken up with an ex, but my therapist slash life coach was like, just, just try it, you know, just go be super selective. So I was like, all right, all right, I'll give this, give this a chance. And then I met my, my lovely Scottish boyfriend. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. He he's very Scottish. We're actually having um a Burns night tonight, which is like a whole big night in Scotland where you read like Robert Burns poems. So he's going to wear a kilt and. Yeah. Oh my God. That is, so, is so fun. fun. Yeah, I know. I'll, I'll send you guys photos. Yes. Like I want a see. rare occasion or you do. Oh, we've never done all this. the time. No, we've never done this. This was like <laughs> a spontaneous thing. My uncle sent an email to myself and, and my boyfriend about like Scottish traditions. And he sent it like two days ago. It just so happened that Burns night was two days later as in tonight. And so my boyfriend was like, let's do it. I'm like, let's do it. Screw it. Let's That's do it. Amazing. So fun. Yeah. See, this is just like a, anybody out there who's hesitating to download a dating app, do it. And you oh, can yeah, be having this it. fun Scottish do night it. in just a few months. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> also actually grew up in a castle, which was like so funny. We would jokingly call him like Prince Charming. And then he went home and he was like, Jillian, I have something to share with you. Like I'm not a blue blood or anything, but then he like pans out and it's this castle. He's like, I grew up in a castle. Oh my wow. God. I know. So there are, there are Scottish princes out there, even that especially for women amazing. in their 30s, which I know can be daunting to, to mm-hmm. date again. But yeah. Wow. That's All right. Amazing. Well, I'm getting on hinge right when we get off. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we love to close out with advice. So what advice would you give to your younger self? I think like chill the F out. Like I was <laughs> just so stressed that I hadn't figured it out and hadn't figured life out and figured out what I wanted to do. You know, I didn't find recruitment until I was 26. So later in life. And so I think just like relax, everything is going to be okay. It's okay. If you, you know, have fallen on your ass a bunch of times, like those experiences will make you who you are today. Yeah. It's such good advice for somebody, like, especially somebody who's just getting started in their career, because it's so hard to think about it in that bigger picture and chill out when you're just like, what am I going to do? And what do I want to do? And all those questions. Exactly. But, but you, everyone, they always figure it out. And I know it's hard when you like hear that, like, oh, you'll figure it out when you're at that age. You're you're like, I won't, but you will. And even, you know, whatever figuring it out looks like, like I did not become a famous actress, but I did. Not yet. (laughs) Not yet. Not yet. Um, But I did find, you know, a career that, that is so rewarding and fulfilling and I'm able to really have an impact. And that's more important to me than anything. I love that. Great advice. Well, thank you so much, Jillian. This was so fun. It was great to hear from you. Yeah, thank you for bringing some of this stuff to light. It's topics that we haven't talked about too much on here. And I think it's so important for everybody to hear more about. So I know it's going to resonate with a lot of our listeners. 